Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Inforium, the podcast brought to you by the question, what's the worst that could happen? Hey, Martin, what's going on? What, what is the worst that could happen? <laughs> probably always worse than whatever your answer to that question is. That's probably true. I feel like if you're, if, if you're in the habit of asking that question, then the worst is probably worse than you have anticipated. But yeah, we, yeah. we were just talking about how like, you know, there's, like, what if you just walked away from your email inbox? What's the worst that could happen? Would you, would you die? I don't think so. You probably, you probably wouldn't unless, except for very specific cases. Let's say that you needed a life-saving medication and you exclusively use email for That's that. Fair. In that case, you should check your email. Or you you've away. signed up to the government's email alerts on which day is wrecking ball swinging through general thoroughfares day like most of us do and then you didn't check your email and you walked outside and bam wrecking ball but well, other than honestly that, the hallmark of a good government is email alerts about that kind of thing <laughs> not not a phone alert not like an amber alert no it's it's your email <laughs> my client would like to file suit against the united states government because uh the spam filters on gmail sent his wrecking ball alert to spam <laughs> and now he's gravely injured yeah this is unacceptable. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to do an episode about social lives today. You know, which implies that we each have one. That may be a stretch. I would say I've successfully kind of have one maybe. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's getting to mid-February now. And I think it is safe to say, like, we're coming up on one year of most of us either being locked down, locked in our houses, or you know we have some degree of limited freedom when it comes to being able to see friends today and uh so today on the podcast we're going to just uh talk about how you can maintain a social life given that uh roadblock the limitation but first yeah we got pod uh, what is it podcast project project check-in do you even remember what your project check-in goals were for last time because I regret to inform you that I did not take down yours. I wanted to film a spot thing for a thing with Tony. I did Mm -hmm. that. I do not think the video is out yet, but that's no longer in my hands. I did the part that I thought I was going to do. And that's fair. Both you and Tony are moving soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Other than that, every other goal that I have, every single other thing is on hold, because (laughs) it turns out that due to a stroke of fortune, I can move in six weeks earlier than I was going to for free, which means I'm already packing and cleaning. Yay! And I don't have the ability to start language videos or really anything cool because I'm probably moving near the in the latter half of next month. So I'm I'm very busy. Does right our now. audience even know where you're moving or why? Um, I don't think they do. I I don't know. So uh, update us. Uh, I mean, I do know, they know? I guess I guess I don't know why I would have brought it up. Uh, moving to Minnesota because that's because Martin cool. likes being really, really cold. I like snow. I'm cool with all sorts of weather, but also I've never really adjusted well to the arid climate here or the greenery, the lack of greenery, mm-hmm. I should say, because Colorado is very beautiful once you get up into the mountains and west of them. But like where we're at is kind of just prairie ground that's been inhabited. It, even in the summer, there are large patches of dead grass and everything. Just 
it's really dry and there aren't a lot of rivers and, and lakes and fun things. I want water. I miss water. That's true. So I'm moving to a place with lots of water. My opinion on the front range of Colorado is it's gorgeous, but in its own way. Because like if you go to a place like Portland to Seattle, you know, it's just green everywhere. And you also have tons of elevation and you can see mountains in the distance. Seattle yeah. may be maybe the most beautiful place I've ever been. But, you know, waking up every morning, especially now when I live on the south side of town, that's kind of like uh, hillier, getting to see the mountains every day. It's amazing. But you're right. It's very dry here. And every time I come back from someplace else like New York or especially the Pacific Northwest and I'm coming into the airport runway and I see the expanse that is around the metro area outside of the irrigated oasis that we have created uh it's very brown (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely it's dead other than the parts we've cultivated specifically and now denver's cool i'm not mad Mm -hmm. that i was here but i have not adjusted well to the the dry weather and when i go outside and it is a little humid by chance if it's like 30 percent humid or above i will literally go outside smell the air and be like it feels like home what's the humidity and it is 30 percent or above if i go out and i'm like it's kind of good but i'm Mm -hmm. confused it's usually in the 20s. I legitimately have, I can accurately smell how humid it is outside yeah. here because of how much it makes me feel like well, I'm What home. fascinated me, and we'll get to my project checking in a bit, but this is interesting to me. Uh, what fascinated me is when you told me every time you have gone on vacation, it's been like your mood is lifted, you feel better, with the one exception of when you went to Salt Lake City, which is at a similar elevation yeah, and similar dryness. Dry and-, and then... Yeah, I feel good. The air makes yeah, me feel good. Yeah, well, then good. you had told me, like, there's, uh, I, I would call it maybe preliminary research that needs expanding upon, but some research to oh, show absolutely. that uh, the level of humidity in the climate, and was it also elevation? I can't remember which. Yeah, it's uh, altitude is correlated with some less than helpful mental things for some people, but it's not 100% clear so was why. It- because it would be incredibly hard to get that was kind of a study. Was it altitude or was it humidity or was it sort of like the, the relationship it's, between the two? It's Well, statistically, it's okay. altitude specifically. But there are several different reasons why that could be. And none of it's super clear. And I just don't think I'll ever mm-hmm. get to know because I can't actually poke around in my brain and figure out precisely yeah. what's happening. But I am generally a happier person. At, at both more humid climates and lower elevations. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that I'm never going to get a good science answer on why my brain is yeah. doing what it does. So I'm just going to test it myself. Yeah. Head on over there and see if it, I feel It's better. one of those things where we, we probably aren't going to see a peer-reviewed paper with a, a large sample size that will say definitively, like, some people are going to be depressed if they live in the mountains. But, um, you, you know, thinking about it, the balance of chemicals inside of your body is a product of the inputs and there is literally less oxygen in the air up here there's less oxygen less humidity humidity. stuff stuff's different taste Mm -hmm. is different when you get on a plane for similar reasons that's that's why the food is different and there's like you can't even boil water to the same temperature here it gets to 205 that's boiling that's it's actually different and it seems small but 
humans react to pretty small changes in their environment. I yeah, and typically, you know, we, we adapt, and that's why we're able to live in so many different places. But I think that doesn't yeah. preclude the fact that, uh, you know, your genetics may be um, suited to one kind of environment or biome over another. Yeah, and adaptation just means you might mm-hmm. survive there. It doesn't even mean you're going to thrive everywhere. So while I, I could be fine here, I am genuinely happier and more motivated every time I go to any other elevation or humidity level. And here, when it is more humid, I feel great mm-hmm. for that day. And then I wake up the next day and I'm like, let's yeah. try again. Whereas for me, the dryness does nothing. I barely notice it. And then when I go back to Iowa, I'm like, oh, it's humid. <laughs> I don't like it. Now, I, I actually... Last time I was in Iowa, I walked 40 minutes to mm-hmm. go to a high V, and it was hot and humid outside. Honestly, I was smiling the whole way. I thought I would hate it, but I kind of loved it. Well, yeah, so, I mean, I guess everyone is... I think I might be a frog maybe. or something, and I need to just absorb things through my skin. Some people are frog people. Some people are frogs. That's Someone's science, I think. That. <laughs> uh, also, it will let me be closer to my family, and, and for a lot of reasons I like, I think that the Twin Cities area is kind of like functionally the Portland of the Midwest because it's on a river. Mm -hmm. It's got plenty of greenery. It's cities, so there's stuff to do. And it's more or less two-ish hours away from a very large ocean-like body of water, the closest you will get, not near an actual ocean, the Lake Lake Superior. That's true. So functionally, it's got a lot of similar things, Mm -hmm. but I'll be closer to family. Whereas if I go to Seattle or Portland, I will love everything about the area, but be farther away from everyone. Yep. For the most part. I actually so, also I it's more really expensive. dig Minneapolis and St. Paul, actually. I, they're both great. Um, having grown up in Iowa, I do not miss the frigid cold. And this will be less of a thing in Minneapolis. And you won't care because this isn't a you don't care about this. But in Iowa, during the winter, like the cold and the snow do not unlock any additional recreational activities unless you're a weirdo who likes to do cross-country skiing, which is just walking, but harder, I guess. You can do snowshoes, too. It's that's just a different walking. walking but you know, harder. you can still walk when it's... But that's right. what hiking like is. here, down in the plains where Denver is, this, we get some snow, but then it melts off the next day. The snow kind of goes where it should go, which is in the mountains where I can go and ski it. So I love that, and I also love that it's, it's not super cold here. Um... But beyond just the cold, I love Minneapolis. And I'm kind of stoked that I'm now going to have, like, a very good reason to go there more often once I can travel. Yeah. And it's a super fast and cheap flight to get there. Very convenient. I've seen it. Ashley said she saw it 50 bucks once. I think I've seen it. The lowest was 90. But uh, either way. It's kind of like the one place in the Midwest that checks all of Mm -hmm. my boxes. Yeah, it's a good place. I will be uh, I'll be happy to visit there more often don't think i'm gonna live there yeah i have looked at some real estate listings and uh a little like single tier comes out of my eye when i see like what you can get yeah as for the tradition. same money that i paid for my house like this house is great but for what i paid here yeah boy what you can get in minneapolis especially if you go out of the city center a little bit <laughs> you can live like a king yeah. <laughs> yeah anyone who's slightly familiar with midwest prices and goes to either here or somewhere on a coast has to cry every time they look mm-hmm. at house prices it's it's the but, way um what i get is to live here and to not wake up open my front door and be greeted by a wall of snow 
So have fun with that. No, I want that real bad. I want it. That's for <laughs> photography purposes. I want it. I look outside and I'm like, oh, I want to take seasonal photos. But what's that? There's, it's just dead season. There isn't winter in Denver. There is dead spring. It's like spring outside, but nothing yeah. is alive. We, real winter happens in the mountains and maybe once every two weeks here mm-hmm. for a day or two. And I miss, I miss it. I miss real so you, winter. You got to come back out here in the fall every year though. Cause nothing beats watching the no, Aspen train. Yeah. The Aspen's beats that. It's just, although there are a lot of Aspen's in, um, Minnesota are there? actually. Yeah. It's actually one of the most common trees. If not I the most not common tree, according to one of the government huh. sites. I, looked I, at. I just thought it was pine it's, trees. It's, I think it's further uh-huh. up North. The northern half of Minnesota is ridiculously beautiful. Yeah. It's just less inhabited than yep. the southern half. Well, I mean, even even the southern half. But yeah, when you look at the map, there's like this this like line meandering, uh, cutting across Minnesota and then basically covering most of Wisconsin and like the tiniest smidge of Iowa. It's just pure green, just tons of forests. And then in Iowa, you yeah. know, it's kind of like plains, still sort of green, but it's plains. And, you know, we grew up on the plains. So we missed out on growing up in that verdant paradise yeah see i think i think that's part of the thing too is i've always been a person who likes water and forests and never really cared that much Mm -hmm. about mountains they're cool but they don't like speak to me that is fair if you don't like hurtling yourself down mountains at dangerous speeds then what's the point yeah my project check-in is that i am very overwhelmed preparing to move suddenly at breakneck speed what have you been Uh, doing okay time for my project check-in then so I believe what I said I would accomplish last two weeks is that I would have my Ethernet cable run to the basement and that I would have a couple of Notion videos produced. I regret to say that I failed in the Notion videos, um, but I'll have more to talk about that in a little bit. On the bright side, I have done so much on the studio renovation in the last two weeks, not just running the Ethernet, but we finished painting um, I've started cutting and attaching baseboards, which is really hard. <laughs> it requires a lot of measuring and I had to buy a miter saw and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Uh, but I also, I learned Ooh. how to cut into the wall, drill a hole through the floor. I threaded my ethernet cable down there. I learned that you're supposed to install fire blocking stuff in the holes you create between floors. So I had to go buy fire blocking and learn how to install that, which is just like goop that you basically squirt into the wall and then it hardens in the hole and seals it up. Uh, I learned how to patch my drywall and paint over it. So you basically can't even tell where I cut big holes. And it feels very, very satisfying to have acquired these skills. I remember, you know, renting my whole life. The idea of like hitting drywall and putting a hole in it or a dent in it was super scary because I had no idea how to fix it. And I'm like, I don't want to mess up the walls. And then uh, you remember this when in the last rental house, I accidentally drilled through a pipe in the wall and there was water coming out of the yep. wall well my landlord had a handyman come to, to patch the hole that the plumber had cut and you could see the seam the rectangular seam of the patch he had made clear as day and i i didn't know anything about patching drywall back then so i'm like is that the best you can do if you have to cut a hole in your drywall like that's the best you can do you're just going to see that seam the whole time well heck i don't want to ever have to cut in the drywall again turns out that handyman was a not so handy man and did a horrible job patching that hole because if you know how to do it any hole in your drywall you can patch it and with a little bit of skill no one will ever tell it was there 
especially here in Colorado where they use textured walls. I remember moving here and, and some friends of mine were like, oh, I hate that there's texture on the walls. It makes it so hard to fix it. No, it makes it easier because the texture randomizes the pattern of the wall and you could buy texture in a can and just spray it on the wall and let it dry a little bit texture and it basically can. blends in perfectly with the texture that was already there and then you paint over it and it blends in even better. How does the texture in a can make the texture and not have an even spray? Uh, what do you mean? Wait. What is what texture? What is texture in a can? Does it create like the little? Yeah, like if you look at the wall behind you, you either have areas? you probably have knockdown because that's what they had in the Lowry house that I lived in, and that's kind of like it's flat on the top and then it has like little valleys. It literally, it's a can full of goop, and they spray it on the wall at random, essentially, and kind of get like a nice coat. And they let it set it for 10 minutes and then you take a taping knife, like a drywall taping knife, and you just lightly scrape over it. And that's how you get that that look. But the nice thing is it's huh. a random looking pattern. So if you have to patch a wall, you know, that randomness actually is a very big help to you in hiding the seam where you made the patch. But anyway, all that to say, it's been very rewarding learning how to do these things. And we now have carpet. We now have paint. We are getting baseboards. We've got all the Ethernet run. It's been great. Uh, I also bought a book called How Your House Works, and it has like a whole bunch of like cut in half X-ray illustrations of like all the things, like what's inside your walls, and how does a water heater work, and how does a furnace work. And I would actually recommend I'm anybody in that, who honestly. is going to buy a house or who is maybe renting a house and needs to do like basic maintenance, get a book like that pretty helpful to have around like it sounds yep. interesting it's, it's just very nice like knowing how it works because when you don't know how it works you're afraid you're like afraid of it like my whole life if a toilet is backed up i'm like oh no what's going on i don't, I don't know the whole house is gonna blow up and now i understand like okay here's the design of it here's likely what the problem is i get it yeah i had to i had to learn a ton about how plumbing works here because um some of the mm-hmm. p-traps the drains hadn't had any water in them for a long time. So you need to start getting, like, so the gases just start, start coming getting up back yep. up smells. Yeah. And I'd be like, where, why, why is that happening? First of all, I had to learn how P traps work. I had to learn that there are very many drains in a lot mm-hmm. of places. I think the, the drain in this case that was causing the problem was right below the washer. I couldn't even see it. I had to like, be like, that looks like a hole. Oh, yep. floor. Chuck some water at it, get all the dust mm-hmm. went away. And I was like, there is a drain down there. Yep. That's the problem. But now I understand how under mm-hmm. my sink works. I know everything about what it's doing in there. It's really fascinating to actually yeah, understand. Yeah, it's, it's super rewarding to, to realize it. Like, you know, if you realize like, oh, a P-trap is, it's not keeping water in it. What's going on? Well, it probably means that the vent on your roof is plugged up and it's not allowing air into the system. So anytime you flush or pour water down, it just sucks all of it because it siphons. And before that, I'm like, I don't it's, know how this really... works. I, I don't want to mess anything up. And now I'm like, punch a hole in the drywall. I don't care. It's like, yeah. And if you're if you're getting a house, you could save yourself a ton of money because you can figure out is this a fix so that's simple much. enough I yeah. can do it, or do I actually need mm-hmm. a professional? In which case, mm-hmm. hire one. Yeah, I'm, like I was talking about my creativity video. Like I want to get new experiences that teach me new things, and this has been a very very rewarding experience. And yeah, it's gonna save me a ton of money. Um, you know, and, and so I'm in a different situation than a lot of people. You know, somebody with a normal job might be like, I got to do this project on the weekend and I will save money the way I'm doing it, you know, because I can probably like add more videos to my schedule and get more sponsors. I'm probably losing money 
in the short term by doing it myself and not hiring contractors, but I don't care. I, I love learning this kind of stuff. It's great. Yeah. And, and now I know how my house works and I think that's a very valuable thing. So, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even, I never got quotes on any of this, so I don't even know how much I'm saving, but I do know that the carpet installer people said they were going to charge me 1300 bucks to remove the laminate wood flooring from my basement before they install carpet. And uh, I just went down there and I just started tugging at it and I realized, oh, it comes away pretty easy. <laughs> and my friend Charles and I had the entire floor pulled up in like a few hours one evening. And then I paid a guy 130 bucks to haul it all away. So I saved whatever 1400 minus 130 is 12, $1,270 <laughs> just That's basically something. doing it myself. Um, anyway, yeah. So I, I didn't get the notion stuff made because I, I basically like hyper fixated on working on the basement along with a few other things. Uh, but I am working on that and I, this may actually shift a little bit about how the podcast works in the coming months. So there is a course creator fellowship, um, by a company called on deck that is being launched. My friend Ali Abdal is in it. Uh, Marie Poulin, who's another great notion creator is in it. August Bradley is in it in the first cohort. And I decided that I'm going to join that cohort, or at least apply, and become part of that class because part of the class is literally building a course and getting it launched and figuring out how to market it. And I've learned about myself. Like when I give myself an obligation, that's when I go into sort of hyper productive overdrive and get things done. So I am going to participate that in that. Um, and I actually got accepted already. So I'll be participating in that not only to learn about how to market my course and build it, but also to sort of have that accountability and that community structure to get it done. That starts in April. So I'm very excited to get a lot of my coursework done in April. So yeah, not too not far, too far from now at all. Yeah, so I'm hoping I can get most of the basement work done this month. Um, you know, I, I always think like, oh, I can get it done in a couple of days. And then you start realizing like there's a bunch of stuff you don't know a bunch of stuff you don't have so it always takes longer than you think yeah but i don't know i'm having fun it's good uh so next next couple of weeks what are we gonna do i'm gonna continue getting ready to move i honestly don't think i'm gonna accomplish anything else because moving 915 miles takes some organization I've got to book moving services. I've got to figure out what how to get my piano there in a way that's reasonable. I've got to, all sorts of stuff. Just I have to fit a bunch of Legos well, together. Well, I can I can help you with whatever you need. I have uh, get insurance. And, well, I don't know if I have a recommendation on a moving service because the one I use is typically local, but I can tell you that they did a fantastic job moving my piano because it's not a real piano. It's just a digital. So like you don't need oh, yeah, a piano one, moving service. Hard to move. Your piano is for all intents and purposes, just a gigantic piece of furniture. There's like, the only thing that's uh, difficult on that is the soundboard being fancy. Yeah. But I mean, but a good moving company, it just have to decide how they're going to come in. They're going to wrap it in blankets. They're going to wrap that in shrink wrap. It's going to be all together and padded and cushioned and they'll just put it in the back of the truck and you'll be good. Oh Yeah. Yeah, there there are things mm -hmm. that are happening, but get picking a service that'll go 915 miles is it's gonna take some comparison because it gets a little That's expensive, true. and that is fair. Uh, I could strap the piano to the top of my car, probably. Let's just do what we did when we were teenagers and didn't own a car and just walk it. 
you know. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> I remember my mom was like, I'm not giving you a ride to Home Depot so you could buy skateboard ramp stuff. So we had to like carry a giant piece of plywood two and a half miles back to my house just like holding it over our Yeah, heads. that's a classic solution to that problem. <laughs> now I got to I gotta organize a bunch of stuff, paperwork, insurance, moving, packing, cleaning, also trying to work at the same time. It's uh, busy. Probably going out to see mountains a couple more Do times it. just because you know i can that's fair all right well my next two weeks i will commit to this i will get a couple of notion videos out uh, some basics beginner stuff coming out uh and i don't want to commit to saying like all oh, the baseboards will be done because it's a huge project but i'm at least going to have the baseboards done in the area where i'm going to have the main filming set so i can start filming videos and i'm going to do more of those little instagram videos that i did i did one uh, i think last week along with the regular videos that I'm doing this month. Um, one thing that I got coming in February is the investing video. Finally doing it. This is actually my 10 year anniversary. I first, like my very first investment was 10 years ago, sitting in a class. So I think it is a pretty fitting month to do it. It's just That's a very cool. intimidating video because there's so much research and so much I want to cover. And I'm like, how much do I include and how much do I have to like have to leave out? Cause one video. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I'm going to do some writing on that today after we are finished podcasting. So that's what I'll have done. And, uh, we'll have you slightly closer to moving next time we record. And I guess what this means is that unless you're visiting to film stuff, uh, even once we're both vaccinated and all that jazz, this is going to be the format for the podcast going forward, which I mean, you know, for yep. the majority, it's been that way for a bit, it's been that here. way for a bit. And for the majority of people who listen, they listen, they don't watch. So it really doesn't make a difference. You know, I guess you can't hear the yeah. sounds of our teacups hitting the table. Well, you maybe could, but not the same table. There's a slightly different, not the same table, to your table. That's mine. Anyway. So, um, speaking of anniversaries, it's like basically a year since we all had to basically like hide in our houses and never come out. What have you been doing to yep. stay sane and social during this time? Well, for the first while, the answer is nothing. But then eventually <laughs> I adjusted after realizing I had to do something. And um, I've been very successfully social for the last like half of this, I'd say. I've been in contact with tons of people, um, primarily through group chat, video chat sort of things. Specifically Discord. Yeah, that's the, I would say that's the vast majority, but I've also been, you know, texting and messaging people and keeping up to date with probably 90% of the people mm-hmm. that I would think to keep up with some, I have a, the reason I know this first of all is because I've tracked my social life to a degree, which what what is, is what does this entail? Um, so I have a section in bear notes. Or it could work in iCloud Notes. I'm sure you could cobble something together in Notion, but I don't know how because I don't really use Notion for personal things. But how it works is in Bear Notes, or it works the exact same as iCloud Notes, so the format's the same. So I've got a folder slash hashtag slash category social. Inside of it, I have notes with a bunch of people's names on them. These notes are sorted by most recently edited Mm -hmm. 
And at least in bear notes right here, they tell me when. So they tell me that 15 hours ago, I marked that I talked to someone 16 hours, 16 hours, 16 hours, 16 hours, whole bunch of people yesterday, a bunch of 19 hours. Um, just within the last like couple weeks, just a ton of different people, like 20 to 30 people. And within each note, I have a little section for each month. So I've got, let's say, October 2020. And underneath that, on every calendar day that I interact with this person, I put a plus. I don't keep track of what days because that's that's too granular and doesn't actually serve yeah. a purpose. But I can see if I've talked to people fairly frequently and in which months I was most talking to them or hanging out with them. And because it says how long since it's been edited, I can scroll down and see, oh, I haven't talked to that person in a month. Mm. Maybe I should reach out. And that's the whole system. That's it. Uh, I just add a plus on every day, and I can see how long it's been since I've talked to everybody. Yeah. It's very nice, specifically because... How many notes are in here? I have 70 different people in this category. Mm -hmm. And within the last month... I've interacted with 38 of them. That's actually really good. I don't think I've interacted it's with 38 people. A very, it's a very successful system, I think, yeah. for me. Now, is uh, is there any sort of delineation between like types of interactions? Like, would you put a plus because you tweeted me? I would if it wasn't about work. I don't. For us, I count when we talk about things that aren't okay. work. That's fair. That's like the ultra test to make sure we're not always having business meetings, which we fall into. So it's like <laughs> subtly tracking another thing. So it's anything that keeps me in their head or them in mind, because I think one of the things that people run into when they haven't been social for too long is you'll, you'll be like, oh, hey, it's you. It's been a while. Let's catch up. And then you'll catch up. But then if you wait too long again, the next conversation also has to be a Let's catch up. Yeah, it's like and if not... you if you're always doing that, you're never actively their friend yeah. in a way where they're casually and consistently in your life. Yep. You should not have to catch up if you've been already talking to them because you'll already know. I already know you've been working on your basement. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be like, "What you moved?" I know this. Yeah, like you're a part of my life actively. So my goal was to make more people an active part of mm -hmm. my life because those catch up conversations are not always fun. Sometimes they're overwhelming. Sometimes they're awkward because you don't know how to reach out after that long. So you procrastinate mm -hmm. it. So I'm just like, if I, if I actively now liking a tweet, I won't, I won't count that. I have to respond. I have to say something that is an active communication with this gotcha. person. I don't even know if I would put a plus on a tweet unless it was like a thread. Like if we had a conversation there, sure. If I just responded to like a joke, I don't know. But so, so you mean to tell me that after we made a tier list of sandwiches last night, you put a plus for me? I would say yes. Okay. Because of that tier list of sandwiches, I've got like nine, ten people I talked to. No, 12 yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So several of them were making a tier list of sandwiches. <laughs> I'm actually I'm gonna actually like like pause a little bit and just like put that out there as maybe the 
the most usable practical tip for this podcast start a discord server invite your friends to it and then just drop in every night that's kind of what we do and yeah it is sort of not quite as good but sort of like back in college when we all lived in the dorms and the door were just was just open and it just so happened that like my dorm ended up being the dorm where most people hung out most nights and we would just have the door open and people just wander in sit down play video games and i don't know like i loved that and having just a common discord server that is not for a specific purpose like i know a lot of people use uh discords for like specific games we just have like a a general voice chat room and almost every night there's like people who i was great friends with in college hung out with all the time just in there and i get to just pop back in and hang out you're gonna see between like three and like 15 people Mm -hmm. there any given night and then the great thing is like i think it makes there's a ton of stuff you can do even if you're not a gamer so i don't think i've actually played a game with the people in the discord server for quite a long time most nights like i'll be doing my own thing and we'll just drop in and then they'll be on like some tier list maker website. <laughs> I think on Saturday that we were like, "That has been a, the recent development. We've done quite a." It's few actually of those. a great way to it's it's a great way to have social interaction where it's not like both of you just playing a game, but you're actually talking, interacting, and debating. We spent three hours on Saturday trying to make a definitive tier list of every comic book movie, and that was that was like three full hours of just discussion and talking with a bunch of people who you know in the past i haven't really had a ton of uh regular interaction with and that's great well i think the the thing you're saying about how you'd randomly pop in is one of the big differences too Mm -hmm. because as an adult there are two types of social interaction there's serendipitous interaction which you almost entirely lose as an adult especially at home because you have to run into people and then there's, you know, basically the adult friendship date type interaction where you're like, hey, let's do this thing every week, which works, but it's a different it kind sort of, of works. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but what I find is like I'll get a text or send a text to a friend and then half the time one of us can't do it. It's really <laughs> hard to set it up. And if you do successfully get like I play Monster Hunter same day every week, mm-hmm. but I also only have seven days every week there is not that much room for me to pick consistent days outside of that it gets difficult what if i want to have a day where i do something specific with ashley now two days are Mm -hmm. gone what if i have japanese lessons every wednesday well that's something that's in the way of something it gets the adult friendship date things become something that you dread and procrastinate also because people get busy i think people maybe this is an introvert thing so maybe i'll say this introverts don't actually like showing up for plans and maybe plans have they pressure. do and i don't know for me it's like the making the plan is fun in the moment and then once i'm finally there usually it's still fun but then there's the hour or so leading up to the thing where i'm like oh no <laughs> i have yeah, to go I be social but there's none of that when it's just serendipitous hanging out and yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think what we've been a lot better at now than we were at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. And it's group interaction too. Imagine trying to get 15 people to show up on one night. <laughs> that's a nightmare. Why even try? Why even bother mm-hmm. doing that? 
But if they all happen to be free, it'll happen every once in a while. Yeah. It's I actually think better. if uh, and we, we've said before, like it, it can be very useful to have a schedule thing as a sort of social pressure thing to stop, stop you from working. Um, but there is, there is a big thing to be said for just the existence of that group being there and there being no obligation. Because I think if there was like, you know, every Thursday we're going to get on the discord and we're going to do this specific thing. Like I would probably still do it, but there's something that that kind of setup doesn't have compared to just the knowledge that, you know what? I bet you, my friends are just like talking in the discord right now and I'm not there. I should go in there. Yeah, I feel like it makes it like your mindset changes. You're like, wait, that sounds fun. Maybe I could, I could, it's an option and I choose to go hang out with my friends. It's not, oh, I have to, but I, honestly today I kind of just wanted to do something mm-hmm. else, but I said I'd be there. Yep. I want to be actively excited to go spend time with my friends. And I think this does it. And I'm just like, I wonder if they're doing another tier thing tonight. If there's a Pokemon one, I need to be there. That's important. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess like the the main thing that we can say here is if if you can set up like an easily dropped into group hangout setting, it's a great way to keep your social life active, even though we can't see our friends in person as much as we want to. Or for some people, not at all. And the video chat aspect makes a big difference there too. It does. Yeah, the video grid. I realize a lot of people hate those at this point, but it's... You don't have to. It's not a work. I don't know. Like the way our, the way our group is it's people, some people turn their camera on some people don't. Well, half the time I don't because I don't think about it. And also I keep my camera pointed up when I'm not using it because uh, I understand computer security. So (laughs) that's a fair point, which like I realize it's only doing me half of what I would want it to do because the microphone is still there and in my pocket and in everyone else's pocket everywhere I go. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> but, you know, like that's probably a smart thing to do is point your camera up when you're not using it um, or get one that has like a privacy shield. I had a cool like little sticker thing that went over my MacBook camera that you could slide. Ooh, that's that's a really good idea. Like a little button Maybe slide. Yeah, get one of those. really nice. Yeah. But yeah, like it's, it's been great. Uh, what are some what are some like specific things people can do? Because I know, like, one of the things is like, well, you know, if if I'm gonna talk to my friends on Zoom or Discord or whatever, like, what is what can we do besides just talk? And like, there's tons so, of multiplayer games, but we've yeah, we've already talked about the tier maker thing, which is pretty dumb but still fun. I would say Tabletop Simulator is a fairly good idea. You could play. Board oh, games I need to buy it with people online. You know what? I'm gonna buy it like while you're talking. That's pretty cool. Um, honestly, like we played Among Us for a while, but I don't, I didn't like that as much because the whole point is that you don't talk to each other. It's like going to see a movie together, you know, it's kind of social, but you can't really have a conversation. Well, you do, you do when it's paused, but not the whole time. Yeah. But you can't, the whole time it's like you're cutting a huge chunk of the actual conversation. Yeah. So it works, but it's not my favorite. Um, we played golf with friends. That's that one is game. great. It's was it free or just cheap? I don't remember. I mean, I it was so cheap that I don't remember it costing any money. So I don't, it maybe it was like three dollars or something. But yes, that I mean, one was great. And it, it's one of those games where it's like what you do is so easy that it's basically just it's you kind of just want a mindless activity. Yeah, it's literally going mini golfing with your friends. 
which I love. Yeah, and it shouldn't be something you're going to get if you're going to get really competitive about it, it may not necessarily be the best idea, depending on how you want to be with your friend group. Because I think, for me, it's been more fun to have something casual that I'm kind of paying attention to, but mostly I'm in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, being competitive in that game, I do not understand yeah, how that it's game possible make because sense. half the time the ball is a rhombus or a pyramid. That's <laughs> just... Being competitive in that game would take a level of patience I can't comprehend. It's just impossible. But that's why I mm-hmm. like it. Nobody's really taking it that seriously because it's dumb. Yeah. But it's still a fun thing to mm-hmm. do. Um, I started playing a game called Satisfactory. And it is kind of like Minecraft if your goal was to build a gigantic automated factory. Uh, I will say this game is not for everyone. I have spent literal hours on my ipad drawing out schematics and doing calculations to figure out like optimum efficiencies so it's perfect for me because i love spreadsheets and stuff like that but it has multiplayer as well so if you want a game where you're building something together that could be something to play as well like i i freaking love I didn't realize it. you could do you that. can yeah uh so tony and i we haven't gone into each other's worlds yet because we just got it and we decided to yeah, I think you have to play like the tutorial on your own first. Um, but he's probably going to be hopping into my world to play some at some point soon. I don't know. It's a cool one. It's got exploration. It's got building. It's got cooperative stuff. It's a little bit of an addiction for me right now, but it's a good one. Hey, it's, no, that's it's at least cool. an addiction that requires doing math instead of just like, I don't know, being addicted to. Well, I was, I was going to say being addicted to WoW, but I bet you WoW has math in it too. I've never been addicted to WoW, so I don't know. Yeah, probably. A bunch of our friends are playing Final Fantasy fourteen these days. Oh, they are. Feeling a pretty similar The niche. only thing that I, I found um, uh, or remember from them talking about that was that apparently there was some census on the types of characters people play, and like overwhelmingly it's cat girls. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> that I mean, that's not that surprising <laughs> that that would be one of the more popular characters. It doesn't surprise me at the, all. The audience. MMOs have um, never been doable say, for me. I like them, but they're too obligation yeah. to me at this point in life. I really wanted I to, to get into Eve because people said it was spreadsheets, the game, and that kind of thing excites me. But uh, there Classic. was a lot of obligation-y stuff. It just seemed like it would be too – it would overtake my own life too much. Right, a satisfactory, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to do some factory building and then I'll be done for the night and you know, I can just walk away, whatever it's it's interesting it's one of those games where like i'll play for a while and by the end my brain is so tired i'm like i never want to play this again but then i wake up the next day and i want to do it again which is kind of like the feeling that i get from doing creative work once i finish a video i'm like oh my god thank that i'm so glad that's done i'm so frustrated i hate it and then i'll put it out and then i get a new idea and it's like the whole process begins again yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, MMOs are cool, but I don't want to have to show up for a group thing if I don't have the yeah. time. Um, before we get out of the various game ideas, I would like to point out that there doesn't even have to be a shared thing, because a lot of times a few people are playing Final Fantasy fourteen or a fighting game or something, and then we got some people doing cool stuff in Blender. I might be working on some pixel art or doing some Japanese homework, Actually, we have another chat where generally people mute 
their microphones after they've sort of said hi Mm -hmm. and then just sort of do a work session on video chat. But imagine that you were the kind of like, even if I was like a busy parent or something and I couldn't possibly sit down and play a game, I could possibly get like a wireless headset, get my phone on Discord, walk around, do do things, but still be talking with people casually outside of the pressure of an activity, which maybe I wouldn't have time yeah. for. Actually, that's what I do. Because, I mean... Oh, yeah, because you, you're usually... Built, you're working on the baseboards on, on the other yeah, day. Yeah, it's great. I have one AirPod in my ear, and I'm hanging out with you guys, and I'm painting or nailing baseboards or whatever. Yeah, you've probably just improved an incredibly repetitive manual activity, yes. but also... How often are you truly just going to be free, completely free? This increases your ability to be social without having to ignore your obligations. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, generally the group is like, oh, you've got to go. You've got to work early tomorrow. That Okay. Okay, yeah. fine. See ya. Like nobody's mad if you're mm-hmm. busy, but you can still show up for a bit. And like one, I don't know. One thing that I would do socially with people if I could see them in person is we, we would probably work on stuff like that together. You know, like my friend yeah. Charles is the kind of guy who would come over and help you do something and vice versa and you i don't know you pay each other in beer or something and uh you know it's it's sort of the same thing i mean you guys are on the other side of internet connection so unfortunately you can't pick up a paintbrush and actually help how dare you but at least you know it's not just me down there by myself sometimes that's what i want but sometimes i'm like man i want to hang out with people but i also want to make some progress on here and now i don't have to choose i can just hang out which is sweet I don't know. I just, I love the advent of that discord group because it really does feel like it used to with the open door in the dorm room. It changed everything about my social life and also group activity, I think is a different kind. You know, there's, there's the serendipitous and also the planned, but there's also the group and just a couple of people because with maybe one or two other people, I might have a serious discussion Mm. about, something emotional or something philosophical or something important in life we might bond over something and that's important for close bond development yeah but if it's always that that feels a little high pressure in a group you're more often to just relax and fall into shared jokes and less serious things because it's kind of hard to get a serious conversation that's balanced between a lot of people because you'll get some people who don't even get their Mm -hmm. input and that that probably sucks for them but with, with the group, it's also casual, and I can just have fun with friends instead of always having to talk about something that seems important. Yeah. Like, is it worth a text for this little thing? I would say the argument is, is yes, but I could see myself telling myself, no, that's not worth reaching mm-hmm. out. Don't bother. But in a group, I'm just like, let me throw this stupid thing in the chat and see what people yeah. think. Yeah, I feel like on previous episodes we've done about like friendship and relationship building, we've talked about like the differences between in-person hanging out and group hanging out. And like they, they both have their pros and cons because you always develop a deeper relationship when it's with one person. Uh, I remember you talking about like there was one group dinner we had with uh, another guy who was into foreign languages and you felt like you couldn't really spend a whole lot of time talking about it, even though you're both clearly interested because everyone else was there. Well, we did. We didn't want to like make the rest of the group. Yeah. Just be suffocated under a topic they don't mm-hmm. care about. But the flip side is, you know, being in the group, it does make it feel more casual. So, like you said, if there if there's 
like a little thing where it's like, oh, I'd like to tell that person that thing. Like you would more likely do it just because you're all hanging out anyway. Yeah. So actually that's, that's a good question. How can you encourage more one-on-one interaction time when you can't hang out as easily? Because I feel like a, a group hangout thing for two people, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen quite as much. Oh yeah. Cause you just have to be like, if not, if people aren't likely to be there, it might feel weird to just be like, I'm going to hang out here alone all yeah. night and just see what happens. Um, I would say that this has also been something I've been doing for a couple of years now, actually. Really, the majority of my time in Denver since, like, you're here, but uh, the, uh, the vast majority of people I know aren't mm-hmm. here. And so it becomes something where I have to contact them through phones. And the strategy that I have developed is to simply randomly text people when I think of them. That's something meaningless, honestly. I'll just be like, oh wait, I haven't talked to them in a while. Maybe I should do something about that. So in that scenario, I could say, let me wait until I have something important to say. But instead of that, I'll just like text them their name in all caps or hey you in all caps. Something stupid that's not high pressure to start the conversation because I know that the opening of the conversation is gonna feel a little awkward and I'm just going to embrace it. And there's no way around that. And I've, I've had to help some of our friends reach out to other friends when it's been too long. And I'm just like, they're not going to care. They're, they're literally, it's going to be maybe weird for three seconds. And then it's going to feel normal yeah. again. We're just, just jump right into it. Don't put it off. Just send something immediately when you think to talk to them. And it might turn into a plan. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I went for a walk not too long ago for like an hour and a half talking to somebody on the phone. And that was planned. But it wouldn't happen if I didn't randomly reach out to people the second I thought to just to be like, hey, I thought of you Mm -hmm. again. Like, you're important to me as a friend. You popped into my head. Here's a thing that I found or nonsense. Well, I have a suggestion that is along the lines of everything you just said, but it is uh, decidedly a more old man thing to do. So I'm just going to embrace my status as an old man and say, I recommend just calling people to shoot the shit. If you know their work schedule, maybe. Do That's it, usually my issue is if I don't know their work schedule. I, I know plenty of people that work in the evenings well, too, though. Well, then learn their work schedule. I don't know. But uh, I've, I've got a few friends who will do that. Most of them don't. Most people will tweet or email or text but I've got a few friends who will just call me out of the blue to talk. Or uh, my friend Charles Cornell does this. He's another YouTuber. I'm guessing some people listening have probably seen his videos. He does like piano memes and music theory, stuff like that. Uh, He lives here in Denver too. And, you know, he'll text sometimes, but a lot of times, like if he's got, you know, he wants my feedback on a thumbnail or he's got a question or he's like, hey, do you want to come help me like cut some lumber or something? He'll, He'll call. And we'll end up talking for half an hour about 500 other things. He just, I don't know, like his brain is wired to call me. And it won't even be like, oh, hey, Tom, how you doing? Like, let me, I had a question for you. He just, the moment I answer the phone, hey, what do you think of this title? And, you know, we're just instantly talking. And uh, it's just like a text message, except now we're on the phone. We talk. It's like half an hour sometimes. And then this is something that I love about phone calls. It ends. 
And then like the next time it happens, it's like, it's a contained thing. Something I don't like about text messaging is like nobody ever really knows when the conversation ends or begins because it never really does. It's just like this persistent low level conversation, quote unquote. Sometimes it's not even a conversation. It's very surface level. It's not deep. When you're on the phone with somebody like you might be doing other things, but you are somewhat engaged. Like you kind of have to be. If you're not engaged, it's going to be obvious. If you're texting, you're probably not engaged. I remember, boy, this is, I'm going to sound so, I'm going to sound so ancient. I'm going to sound so ancient. But I remember in in high school when I first got MSN Messenger and AOL Instant Messenger. (laughs) That's how old I am. Uh, I would literally sit at the computer on IM locked in conversation with somebody probably a girl i wanted to date and do nothing else but now like that is almost never how it is it's like slacks open in another window or i'm going about my day and people are texting me it just doesn't feel the same as when you're talking to somebody you're in a conversation that is where most of your attention is directed if not all of it yeah there's something about those those aim days that i Mm -hmm. miss you know because you're right in those days, I would say, hey, I got to go. Yep. The Bye. Even over text. But when it's over, you know, DMs or just regular text message, it feels like eventually one of you just kind of has to ghost the other until the yeah. next day. There's never a... And you just, am I going to do it? Do I feel okay about ghosting you? Right. Uh, that This is a... That's all right. But there's never an explicit bye. Yeah. There's never a G2G. And here's the thing. A, a what's the word for this what is the word for like a goodbye it's not a greeting it's a what's the word I can't think of it right now it's not a salutation there's a word for it I'm struggling me too. and that seems odd right for me, yeah, yeah but I, I I'm gonna blame that I have not been sleeping well all week <laughs> I'm gonna google it opposite of a greeting is uh, I keep I keep pulling up things in a farewell. That's not what I'm looking How's that? for. A goodbye, a farewell, a leave taking, an adieu, and a reve. I don't even. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that one. Au revoir. A val valediction. Is that a word? Is that what the word means? I mean, I guess it's. I mean, I valediction. Guess it's a word, the action of saying farewell. I'm not. Aha! Uh-huh. No wonder the last song in that I Am Ghost album is called Valediction. I never knew what the word meant. It That's, just. I don't. I didn't sounded know that word. Cool. Okay. So the beautiful thing about a valediction is that in most cases it implies I will see you again, and there's anticipation. And. I think that relationships are strengthened by periods of interaction, deepening the relationship, and then periods of being apart. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? And, you know, I think with a good friend, you wouldn't want those periods to be super duper long. But having those periods of absence is a good thing. Uh, and it's the same thing with like a romantic relationship. I, I remember like, you know, Anna would go to cons or I would go on business trips. When we come back, you know, we miss each other so much. And that's something that we also haven't had for the past year. You know? Yeah. It's, and that, that's a relationship challenge, you know, absolutely love my fiance, but 
there is good that comes from being apart every so often. And we have not gotten that for a year. But anyway, the, the fact that we never say goodbye in texts means that doesn't exist. It's just this persistent thing where, yeah, like you said, you just kind of awkwardly ghost them or they ghost you after a while and then you bring it back up and it's become part of the culture so nobody makes a big deal about it. But I think there was something we lost in transitioning to that method of communication. Yeah, I definitely feel less pressure if I'm allowed to just say bye. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a low-level guilt <laughs> related to just having to stop responding at some point. But, you know, it's just like, well, real. I could reasonably be asleep right now. I could probably stop <laughs> responding. It's like it feels less honest and it keeps the pressure on and neither person knows that they're fully allowed to let mm -hmm. go because you don't want to be the person on the other end of that either waiting thinking are they going to respond again i'm not sure yeah. maybe i'm maybe one person is just sitting there invested in the conversation but the format is bad because they don't realize the other person is already checked yep. out yeah every time i see a tweet and i see these every every so often there'll be a tweet or someone's like Ugh, who calls text me first and i don't know i feel like there's like a very clear age divide here and people are gonna okay boomer me even though i was born in 1991 but like when do we get to a point in society where i have to go through like 18 different layers of abstraction to talk to another human being without it being like some rude interruption you know, yeah. when I was a kid, I went outside and I ran up to my friend's houses and I would ring the doorbell and say, hey, is Skylar home? Can we go outside? And is he free? And now people are like, oh, hey, you got to you got to actually poke me on Facebook first to see if I'm awake and then text me. And if I do text back, you could ask if I you could call me. And then if you call me and then yeah, send me a boof. We'll, yeah, send me a boof and then we'll get something on the calendar. I'll send you a calendar invite to have a Zoom meeting where we can decide if we can meet up yeah that's there's literally <laughs> no serendipity in that there's no there's no just being alive in the moment there yeah it's entirely forced but how do you get out out of the fear of being an interruption just do though? it because i imagine there are many introverts who are like but they're gonna hate me no they're not gonna hate you not, here i think this is like this is the inconvenient truth of growing up and no longer having things like school or, I mean, you know, adults, I guess, have the workplace, but right now a lot of them don't because we all work from home. Um, you know, you're a kid, you had daycare, you had school, you had all these planned activities. Go to summer camp, go to do this, go to that, go to daycare. Uh, and, and then you grow up and that is taken away from you. And then everyone is secretly thinking, how come that person doesn't call me anymore? How come I don't get invited to things? How come I'm always the person that has to like reach out and call? And, and the inconvenient truth is, like there are fewer people who will take the initiative to do things like that than there are who want someone to do it for them. So I say, just be that person. Be the person who calls your friends up out of the blue. Be the person who uh, is like, hey, you know, next week we're gonna go do this. We're gonna meet on Discord and play Monster Hunter. We're gonna play Jackbox or we're gonna make a tier list of the best types of sandwiches or whatever it is, you know, or, or be the person who sets up that group in Discord for people to just hang out in whenever and just tell your friends, hey, I set up a group, you know, no pressure, but I'm gonna be in there. That's actually a very powerful thing 
Um, and I'll, I'll use movies as an example here. I have learned that if I want somebody else to watch a movie, the best way to do it is not to say, Hey, you really need to watch this movie. Let's do it sometime. The best way is to be like, Hey, I'm watching this movie. Join me if you want. Just put it on. Cause a lot of yeah, people like no they pressure. won't say, okay, I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll make, make a plan to sit down with you, but they will be like, Oh, what's going on over there? I feel left out now. I better go join. There's a, there's a lot of power in like, Wait, okay, what what is it? What is a not terrible way to make this sound? I was about to say there's a lot of power making people feel left out. <laughs> but it's for good. We there's gonna, a lot of there's a lot weird, of power like, in creating a little bit of like pickup tactics, but for friends, <laughs> is that what's gonna happen here? There's a lot of power in creating a little bit of like FOMO when when the intention is is to encourage people to come do things. Not to if the intention is literally to exclude, then you're just being a jerk. But you know, haha, we're at Disney World. You're not. But if but if you if you couch it that way and like, hey, we're watching this movie. Just want to let you know, it's not like, oh, you're the person who has to decide whether or not we watch it. It's we're watching it with or without you. We're inviting you. It's at this time. Be there or don't. You know, yeah. I think that there, that's a very very powerful way to encourage more interaction, to have more social interaction with your friends. Uh, and you know, just to be that person who takes the initiative, who sets things up and to not be disappointed when, when friends say no, or they flake or whatever, because you're doing the thing anyway, you know, don't allow them to be the one who, who decides whether or not it happens, make it happen if you can. And more often than not, you know, some people are going to show up. Yeah. I, I think that's why our discord group works well. Nobody ever reached out to me like, Hey Tom, we were thinking about making a discord group. Um, are you in? Like, we're not going to do it if you don't. They just did it. And then I got invited. Yeah. And I, and I think I only mentioned a couple times where I was like, Hey, we're doing a thing, but usually that isn't necessary mm -hmm. anymore. You just, and, and also if you're going to be the kind of person who's active about this, it is probably a nice gesture to directly tell people when something relevant to them is going on or just invite them a couple times. Because if you're like an introvert, and you, you got all the anxiety issues and all the stuff that everybody seems to have because life's hard dot JPEG. It is really useful to get the direct invite a few times mm -hmm. and then eventually get comfortable with the idea that you're wanted there. Yeah. Whereas if you only invite them once and then they don't show up this next several times, that might be just because they were like, they've talked themselves out of feeling like they belong. Mm -hmm. And uh, in group conversations, Something that's been making that way better is that I make a point to loop back to people I notice who were going to say something that got interrupted because otherwise the dynamic of that conversation, especially with the lag of the internet, it mm. can get, somebody needs to make sure that it doesn't get weird. Yep. And I try to do that when I can. I think that helps a lot maintain the balance between, you know, 10 to 15 people all trying to talk over each other. That, yeah, that's very true. Uh, and I guess that does bring up a good point. You know, when we say it's it's good to throw the invite out there, it is. Um, but sometimes I, th I think it's also very good to go the extra mile and give a specific person an invite. Uh, you know, one thing we've learned is some people are wired in such a way that when a general invite goes out, they're like, cool, that's for me. I'm going to do that. And some people are wired the opposite, where they will they will see a general invite go out and they will assume that actually isn't for me or I'm not ready for it. I don't think they actually want me to do it. They're just yeah, being Yeah, they're polite. talking to the other people, the, the cool mm -hmm. ones. 
um, you know, in like in a, another online community of mine, we would, we would notice that like general invites for things would go out and uh, guys would show up and women wouldn't. And we learned like a lot of women feel like, oh, that, that's not for me. So you kind of have to like go the extra mile and be like, no, we want everyone to be able to come in. Please, if you want to do it, where a lot of guys, you know, for better, or for worse, just sort of have this like intrinsic assumption that they can do whatever they want. And that's bad. The immediate <laughs> assumption that the invite does count <laughs> yes. for them. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes that's good. It is, it is what it is. Uh, but it results in an imbalance a lot of times. And it results in, you know, you not realizing you have a blind spot in your social group where some people feel like an invite for everyone is not actually an invite for them. Yeah, you may end up accidentally leaving mm -hmm. out introverts or people with anxiety issues or going through something difficult right now. And those are the people that you probably don't want to leave out the yeah. most because they will benefit more from being in. Mm -hmm. So you just, and thus far in my experience, it has only taken a handful of intentional joinings like that for it to then become normal. And, and then they, they feel good about it. People just do what yeah. they want. Yeah. I mean, you've done a great job at that. Um, you know, I don't think it's like needed for me because I am one of the people who will just kind of assume, but I know you, I've gotten specific texts from you like, Hey, we're doing this. You should join. Yeah. If something, if something really relevant's going on, I'm just like, this is a perfect time for, I'm, I'm a really good fan of group cohesion and I make efforts to make sure that the group stays because it would really inconvenience me if something were to fracture it in any way. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, look what I just lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I'm about to move away from Denver. So what? making sure that you're also actively in part of the remote group makes sense. That's very true. Because, yeah, I don't think anybody besides us is in the remote group, as far as I know. Yeah, it's just it's just us in Denver in there, basically. So you're going to get physical proximity to many of those people, which is cool. Yeah, so I'll have to work harder to make sure. And I don't think that'll be hard because we're doing – Yeah, I mean – We already do tons of stuff. I'm going to be talking to you but on a theoretically, daily basis anyway. Yeah. And, I mean, the inter I mean, the thing that, like, is interesting and also not – it's not a bummer that you're moving. Because of COVID, I've seen you in person, like, twice? It's basically the since same. Since I moved to this house? It's not different and at all. And it's an hour and a half flight to Minneapolis. So, <laughs> you know, there's really no – Nothing that I'm losing for real. Um, oh, you know, actually, that that brings up an interesting side benefit. This isn't just for this. This is a good way to maintain friendships. Uh, another friend and I were talking about the previous generations. When they got out of high school or college, they started a family, they move across mm -hmm. the country for a job, they basically just lose touch with everybody they've ever known. We are more or less the first generation who straight up does not have to do that. Yeah, yeah. Because time zones don't divide us and we're immediately already on all the internet things. So mm -hmm. this is a great way to keep in contact with people long term. And I won't say like everyone from the previous generations lost touch because some people, you know, proactively wrote letters. Oh, no, they and still can. Like that. But now it's but easy. It was hard. Yeah. It's so easy now. This takes no effort at all to suddenly talk to 20 people from college days. Mm -hmm. But the previous generations would have had to specifically write or call all 20 of those people. Yeah. <laughs> and we should take advantage of the fact that we don't have to lose touch with people as easily. Exactly. Um, I'm about to run out of space on my memory card. 
Okay, we're back from technical difficulties. I'm not even sure what exactly we're talking about. I think we we're talking about uh, how, uh, you know, we're not going to... We gonna... can keep in touch easily now. Yeah, very easily, because the, the flight is super short, and it's super cheap, and it's fine. Yeah, it'll basically be the same thing. So I think I'll end up seeing you, if not as much as I do now, close to... And I like Minneapolis, especially when it's warm. So yeah, I would love to have some excuses to go there. So yeah, I mean, I think we probably covered a lot already. I feel like I've that's. I don't think I have any other notes on how to be social. <laughs> um, I can't come up with any that don't actually involve talking to people. So apologies. It, to- it does turn out that in order to be social, you do have to socially interact with other people. Yeah, that is the trick, and that's the tough part. Mm-hmm. But once you get past that, it's easy. Uh, we do have other episodes from the old College Info Geek days, uh, if people are curious about like how to actually make friends. Um, one thing I have noticed is like basically for any any interest at this point, especially if it's like a gaming thing, there's a Discord group for it. So easy ways for yeah. interacting with people, and that's how friendships are built. I remember one thing we talked about in one of our early friendship episodes was some research you had pulled on like the number of hours it takes to become like really good friends with somebody. And it it just, it's like, you know, dozens or hundreds of hours. Just like you literally need to put in the time. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think it's not just, just the hours because what you do with the hours is also quite important. You know, if you never talk about anything deeply and you just like, sit there like two midwestern small town guys in a bar just grunting and watching sports then maybe you're not going to be best friends but uh <laughs> the time does matter somewhat yeah so well i think that's going to do it for our main topic before we close out we have a couple of cult member questions and remember for members of the cult especially if you have been issued your standard issue hooded robe and taught the secret chance of the enforium you can leave your questions in the comment section of the YouTube versions for these podcast episodes, or you can tweet them to me, uh, Tom Frankly, or to Martin, Yo Martholomew, on Twitter. Um, you can also DM them on Instagram, but I don't check my DMs all that often, so Twitter is probably better if you want your question noted down in a timely manner. Speaking of our questions, the ones we have today, number one is a general overview of your goals or a more specific delve better to motivate you. Um, I'm actually not quite sure of what this person means. Do you think they're, they're asking like, is it more motivating if we get really specific and plan out our goals in terms of action steps or. Yeah. To me, it sounds, it sounds like the question is along the lines of what's better for motivating you to do things. The big picture end goal, like I'm going to become a scientist Mm. or, or a more specific here's a step involved along the way. That's how I'm interpreting it anyway. For me, it's it's the next interesting step. If it's a non-interesting yeah. step, then that's not very motivating. Uh, there has to be some sort of like discovery in it, I think. But, you know, in, in terms of like, let's use my basement studio renovation as an example, the idea of having the whole thing finished is motivating. But what's more motivating is... I'm going to get those baseboards done and it's going to look so cool against that painted wall. And before that I was like, I'm going to get the painting done and I can't wait until I can like walk down here and see all the walls painted. 
I remember getting the first wall done and, you know, seeing that, but then every other wall was still white. And I'm like, it still, it still looks like it did when I moved in for the most part, like I'm not surrounded by the color I've chosen. I'm really excited to see and feel what it's like with that one color surrounding me. So I think for me, the answer is, is delving specifically into something that seems tangible, that seems achievable in a short amount of time, but that is big enough to be like a discovery or like a milestone. You know, I'm yeah, not motivated the, the by like the next really Brad helps. nail in, in the baseboard. That's like, it's just, you know, part of the process. Yeah, it's definitely, I would say the same because for example, with pixel art, I'm like learning pixel art, a technique or the concept that's really cool and it made me research how to do it in the first place but what really makes me want to do it is like right now i have a specific idea for some pixel art i would like to create that's themed around the fact that i'm moving and i'm like oh wait mm. but i could animate it in this way and then i could do this and it's yeah. the one specific project is going to motivate me through a whole bunch of little things and then after the project is done you know i'll kind of lose the motivation until i find a new specific project big picture things are only useful for like life direction for yeah. me they never motivate me to actually do the next step yep that's kind of how i am too and that's not to say that other people aren't the opposite you know maybe maybe elon musk truly is motivated to get up every day by the thought of going to mars one day i don't know see that pushes off like the the victories too far to yeah me. it's like am i waiting for that one moment 10 years from now and then what do i do after that moment is done another 10 year goal mm -hmm. i'm way more motivated by stuff i can do within the next month yeah yeah same here uh next question for me i guess you always say that you are a statistics nerd for youtube stats your website etc what is your general view on your main channel's videos view counts even after quite some time the view count is just a fraction of the subscriber count so i wonder is that a low view count this is a great question and it's something that uh I, I thought about a lot when my channel was growing. I remember when my channel was at a smaller number of subscribers, I would often get more videos or more views in a video than I had subscribers. And then for a while it was like, you know, I would get around the same number of views per video as the number of subscribers I had. And I remember thinking, man, you know, looking at all these big YouTube channels with millions of subscribers and only hundreds of thousands of views per video, my channel really punches above its weight. And what I've realized since then is that ratio is, it is not a solid thing that's gonna be the same for every channel. For, uh, for one thing, my 2 million subscribers, I don't have 2 million active subscribers. Like, you know, just looking at myself, I'm subscribed to probably 400 channels on YouTube. And the vast majority of those, I don't watch every video. I haven't watched, for the vast majority of those, I haven't watched a video of theirs in a long time. Most of the videos I've been watching recently on YouTube have been about home DIY stuff. So I don't know, maybe like the last three people I subscribe to, I'm actually actively watching, which means that for all those channels that don't aren't really relevant to my current interests, you know, I'm a subscriber that isn't engaged. And that's just how YouTube works. YouTube, you know, Creators would hate this. Creators would hate this, but it, it might actually be a better, more accurate thing if YouTube was like, all right, you haven't watched a, a video from this person in a year, we're gonna unsubscribe you. 
You know, yeah. pe- people would hate it. Accurate. They would never go for it, but it might actually be more accurate in terms of like, you know, what's your, what is your actual, um, base of engaged subscribers? We have something in email marketing called the cold subscribers list. And on ConvertKit, I think it just removes them after 90 days, or at least it puts them on the cold list. And then we can, we can send a re-engagement campaign and, and unsubscribe them if they, um, if they don't want to be there, but it's something we're intimately aware of. It is the fact that we pay per subscriber, but not every subscriber is actively engaged. There's, you know, there's say there's a college kid back in 2011 who signed up for my email list. They're how old are they now? 29, 30. If I'm sending an email about how to get better grades, they don't care anymore but they're still counted as a number on my list unless I go through and remove them manually. You can't do that on YouTube. So the sad fact is there are people on your subscriber list who just, they were at one point interested in your content and now they're not. Maybe some will become interested again. There are topics I loop back around to, you know, I watched regular car reviews for a long time back a long time ago and now I'm watching regular car reviews again. But there are also topics that I will just never, probably never get interested in again. And, you know, I don't go through the manual process of unsubscribing and almost nobody does. So that's just how it is. Um, and, you know, it also has to do with like how, how niche your content is and how frequently you produce, you know, people who produce super frequent content often don't have the same number of views. Uh, whereas if you look at somebody like Mark Rober, well, he makes a video every two months ish but all of his videos are like engineered for virality. So he often has more views on a video Mm -hmm. than he does subscribers. Uh, Whereas if you look at somebody like Philip DeFranco, he's got, I think more than 10 million subscribers. And then, you know, every video will get a million, maybe less than a million, maybe a bit more because it's the news. And the same with Linus Tech Tips, 12 million subscribers, average a million per video or less because, you know, out of those 12 million people, who is interested in this specific phone or this specific server configuration they're doing, you know? So that's just how it is. Um, I don't worry about it. What I worry about is just the general trend going up over time. And uh, one great thing about 2020 is if you, if you look back through our catalog, it's gonna look like we had more views on older videos. That's just because those videos have been up for longer and in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of like actual first week, first month, all that kind of stuff. We did better in 2020 than we ever did before that. That's what I care about. And, uh, yeah. you know, for the, for the back catalog, I, I can't really control that. YouTube is constantly tweaking their algorithm to sometimes favor back catalog videos, sometimes not favor them right now. You know, just from my own experience, I haven't been seeing a ton of old videos in my recommendeds. It's all fairly recent stuff. So maybe that's what they're kind of prioritizing right now. Yeah, yeah. To some degree, caring about any specific statistic that's also controlled by an algorithm yeah. is sort of just going to waste your time. Or there's If stuff, you worry too much about it, you're just hurting yourself. You can't yeah. fix their algorithm. They do that. There's stuff I can control, and then there's stuff that I can't control. And that stuff is changing all the time. So, um, you know, long, long, or sh- I guess long answer short, I can't worry about my subscriber and view ratio. It doesn't work. It's not worth it. What I worry about is, am I building a sustainable business? Am I growing? Am I keeping the things that matter going? Yeah. Yeah, That's what I care about. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Inforium. This is episode 
14. So if you want the show notes for this episode, I'm not sure exactly what we'll be linking to. I think there's a maybe a couple of games we mentioned, Tabletop Simulator, a couple of other resources. Uh, you can go to theinforium.com slash 14. And if you just want to subscribe to the show or show your support, theinforium.com, our homepage, has links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a few other resources or places where you can subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. Doing that gets you a, uh, well, if you set your podcast player to download it, you get it automatically downloaded every other Monday when we publish. And if not, you'll at least be able to open your handy dandy little podcast player and see when we have a brand new episode released. I think you can even set notifications for that. But uh, I'm a pretty anti-notification guy. So if you notice on my YouTube channel, I never say subscribe and hit the bell. I just say subscribe because as much as I want my YouTube channel to grow, I don't want to actively encourage you to set up another interruption to your workday. And I publish at random times. I don't know. Maybe if I get on a super strict publishing schedule, even then, time zones, I'm going to be waking somebody up at 3 a.m. I don't know. So don't hit the bell, but do subscribe and listen when it is convenient for you. (laughs) Uh, Like I said before, if you have questions if you're a cult member and you want your questions answered in the show uh twitter is probably the best place to do it i'm tom frankly on twitter and you are yo martholomew otherwise if you do watch on the youtube side we do check the comments on the youtube podcast episodes so check those out thanks as always for listening if you enjoyed this and you are an apple podcasts listener there is a rating and review system where you can leave us a five-star rating and review if you want otherwise thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you in the next episode stay cute Thank you.